0: Hey everyone, what is up? Patrick Carr here. I've got a new friend with me, Jonathan Gaspard. Let's see here, restoration roofing. Correct. I wanted to talk to this guy, and off camera, it's been pretty interesting so far. So like we'd normally do on this show, I'm just going to kind of walk through getting to know you a little bit. All right, Jonathan? Sure. And uh, like I said, so far what I've heard off camera, I think is going to be interesting to the audience. Um, Fifth generation roofer.
1: Fifth generation roofer.
0: Um, there are a lot of people out there who have not been in business for 19 years. Nevertheless, your family's all been in business. Correct. How has that dynamic been? Because you told me your dad now is, is working underneath you. Yep. But take me back to how this company, fifth generation, how does it start? And bring me forward in a little bit, just right here to where we are today.
1: So Restoration Roofing is, uh, is our DBA. Um, we have an LLC that we worked underneath with business partner that it started back in 04 with, which was Gaspart and Morgan. Um I started it with him in 2004 when I moved back to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. My family's business is down South Louisiana, about an hour south of New Orleans, and that's Gaspard Roofing. Um, it's no longer in existence. My dad closed it down because nobody was there to take it over when he decided to go full time in the mission field. 2005, 2006-ish, um, right after Hurricane Katrina. Yes, um, we did. Uh, I went down there and assisted him. Uh, and a little bit about that is. Uh, <laughs> When I moved to Dallas and I realized there's a thing called subcontracting and having other crews do the work for you is a very alien thing because my entire mindset, first roofing company I went to talk to, I wanted them to hire me to do labor to do the repairs because my dad and my cousins were still doing the labor, like on the roofs, installing the shingles. and uh, So it was very different. So when Hurricane Katrina hit, um, he needed help. He couldn't even answer the phone. Because, I mean, he's, the business had been down there for almost 100 years at that point. And so uh, went down there with my crews, uh, brought down five or six crews, and we wound up being down there for about 11 months and uh, helped out my community, um, helped them recover from that. And then uh, my, my dad decided he wanted to be on the mission field, and my mom wanted to go on the mission field. so it's beautiful. Yeah.
0: You know, I, I don't think that many people, including contractors, who are not a part of not only Katrina, but what just happened, I want to say, what was it, 2019, 20, Mm -hmm. um, with the three storms, Zeta, Ida, they had three storms that ran through Louisiana um, and just destroyed it. And so did Katrina. Mm -hmm. That Louisiana coastline, if you will, has just been battered with storms in the last 15, 20 years, maybe worse than Florida or any other other state has had. You can make an argument that the people there, which is already, unfortunately, a poor area, Mm -hmm. um, and on top of that to be battered with these storms is terribly unfortunate for the people um and i don't think people realize how hard it's been hit unless you've been there and you've experienced it what it is after a storm like that
1: yeah absolutely and, and i know that people not from there look at them like why in the world does anybody want to stay there why does anybody want to Good live point there? It's a but fair question. uh as somebody who's from there um and my bloodline's from there uh i claim it it there is a romance, there is a love for the country, even though I don't live there anymore, of the Of the South Louisiana Bayou country, that it's unique, it's got its own unique culture. Uh, we have own, My dad didn't even speak English till, you know, he was a little older, his first language was French. Mm-hmm. My, my grandfather didn't speak English till third grade. Um, he's French, but they were born and raised in Louisiana, yeah. the United States, so we have our own culture there. It's not like you can just pick up and move to a different place and it'd be the same. So there, the people who live there, It's a heritage thing, and um, there's not a the storm can come through and destroy the the buildings, but they can't destroy what's what's truly rooted in there.
0: It may be one of the few places still left in America that has that culture so strong tied Mm -hmm. to it right there. It's it's protected almost there in Louisiana. Um, You know, it used to be. I don't think New York has it as much as it used to. That New Yorker type thing, Mm -hmm. or the Boston type of guy or gal. Louisiana has held on to that in a very special way despite the fact it seems like the world or the uh, the weather wants to pull it away from them. D- despite all that, it's still very strong.
1: Yes. Um,
0: so what does the company look like now? Um, as you, you know, you get back here to Texas and um, your mother and father go going to the mission field, mm-hmm. how does it evolve from there?
1: So it doesn't evolve very quickly. Uh, I wind up um, trying to be a professional musician and do this part-time and my business partner does it full-time. And uh, Then the roles switch when I decide I want to get married in 2010, and my business partner wants to, at the time, uh, decides he wants to be full-time ministry, and he's part-time. Wow. So it flips. So there's not a lot of growth that happens between 2000, um, see, Katrina was five, so between 2006 when we came back and uh, 2010. uh, We never really went more than one to 1.5 million annually in that time. And then 2010 happened, uh, I decide I'm going to get married, I want to get off the road i want to stop touring i want to raise a family i want to take this seriously okay and uh that's when we started really growing and i was still handling pretty much 95 percent of the business myself uh didn't have any other sales guys guys would come through as 1099 every once in a while and sell but i was still handling majority of it we maybe went up to 1.5 to 2 million dollars for a couple of years And then we started really taking off, um, I I call it a slow boil because we've been around 19 years, but we didn't really didn't start growing until 2015 and 2016, um, whenever, uh, I'm a believer, okay, very much a believer. So um, through one of my prayer times, I really felt myself convicted that God was asking me, is this my company or is this your company? Because if it's your company, you're responsible for the results. If it's my company, I'm responsible for the results. And I, he's like it's your choice and uh, I believe that I, I gave it up within my heart and became a steward and at that point uh, we went into about a 300 percent growth that year um, and from then on we've grown every year except for last year
0: wow I want to be I want to ask you this though the Lord can call somebody to turn over the control mm-hmm. but at the same time there has to be action taken by the business owner you can't there's anything in life you can't well there was, I don't know, it was a a saying or something and it said, uh, like I asked God for, for knowledge and he gave me struggle and I, you know, I have strength and he, he made me weak. You know, you have to physically do something as a business owner. What was it during that time that changed in your perspective and in your approach that led to that 300 that you felt led that maybe you were, you were maybe contradicted about before. I believe that it was because
1: I felt like I was responsible for the results. And so I was, I was striving and, and I would get, uh, I would feel uh, frustrated and angry when I wouldn't get the results that I wanted, that I expected from myself. And when I gave that up and was just like, you know, I'm just gonna do the best I can. I'm gonna show up every day for battle, pull my sword out and I'm gonna go to war for my family. And the results are not mine. I'm just gonna do what I know I need to do. And when I started doing that, that's oddly enough when the results started happening. Um, And when I realized, Consciously, subconsciously, however you want to put it for me, it was, I believe it was because of my faith of giving it up, realizing I'm not responsible for the results. And it was through that same time that God asked me, God basically, I feel like he showed me my life. is like, uh, cause I felt like I was comparing myself to a lot of companies. I was like, why am I not growing as fast as X, Y, or Z? And I had a vision of my family. We lacked nothing. We drove two very nice cars. We had a nice house. We have a nice house. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing my life lacked. And God was like, well, what else do you need? And I was like, nothing. And he's like, so if I don't grow anything else at any point, are you going to be okay? Because you have everything you need right now. And I'm like, you're right. And so there was a contentment that I accepted and I let sit in my heart. And the moment I did that is when, every, when the results started changing.
0: We'll be right back to that episode, but I wanna explain something that happened last year. Uh, for a lot of contractors across the country, you may be aware that Leap acquired job progress a little over a year ago. And there are some questions about why was that and what was going to happen next. I wanna explain that a little bit to you because I think it's been a really powerful merger. And so here's what happened, everyone. You had Leap over here, number one, and in-home sales software making that belly-to-belly sale so much easier and more proficient. You had job progress right here the number one app and the number one CRM for contractors looking to organize their data. So it made sense when you bring these two together that now a contractor has all the sales tools they need right at the dining room table for things like signatures and production, um, taking payment, contracts, you name it, all right there in a great presentation. That's what makes Leap so powerful is their ability to put all of that information into something that's palatable for a home or a business owner then add in job progress, you're taking everything you do there and putting it organized way so that a contractor can track all of that data through different stages. They don't lose anything, they capture all their clients a great customer experience. And so they took these two great companies, they brought them together. And now we've got the leap platform. And in my opinion, it is the most powerful platform most powerful CRM there is for contractors across the country. And here's the good news. It's not just for roofers, everyone. It's for all of my blue collar entrepreneurs who are looking to get organized and be more proficient in their company. The leap and job progress coming together is such an amazing thing. And I want everyone to understand why it is so powerful, bringing together the best in both companies so they can bring you the best CRM in the country. I encourage you to go over to Leap to digital. It's leap Get with my friends over there at leap. They'll show you everything the platform can do for you and your growing company. And I promise you're not gonna be disappointed. And now back to that podcast. I want to know what you think about two things. I'm just writing down right now. Sure. And now I want to talk more about the roofing, but I'm very interested in this. Um, I think a lot of roofers who grow up middle class struggle in this industry because, mm-hmm. like you say, you get so you maybe get lukewarm, and you're okay with lukewarm because that's where it's been most of your life. You're middle class. You're sitting there. You've got a nice mm-hmm. house. You've got a nice car. I, I, I'm interested in how that works with your story. Did you feel satisfied at that time? Because the person who grows up poor always wants more out of their life. It's like, I've hit rock bottom. You can't bring me below that. Mm -hmm. So try to bring me down. I'm striving, and I've got a chip on my shoulder. The guy who's rich, in my opinion, what he's got is connections, how to use money. Mm -hmm. He's been around money his whole life. He doesn't have a fear of not having less because he's always had more. Where did do you think that applied at all to where you're at in your life right there? I'm curious because I, I, it doesn't sound like it, but I, I'm I'm interested in your opinion right there. Well, I
1: like I said, I grew up very, very much a working class where uh, I was homeschooled and I'd go to work with my dad in the afternoon. We we were not middle class even. I don't believe I, I believe we were probably lower. Yeah. On the on the pole. I get it. Um, so there there is a mentality that I struggled with most of my life, and I think that people often confuse contentment with Giving up, and it's not. You can be content in what you have today, but strive to be better tomorrow. It doesn't. There, there's not a conflict there. There's not. There's not um, a, a inconsistency of thought there. Uh, I want to be better every single day. I mean, I, I, I read books. I listen to podcasts. I, I don't. I'm not happy where I am. As far as I want to be the same person today that I will be tomorrow. I want to be a better man for my family and for my, my girls tomorrow than I am today. But that, that doesn't mean I'm not
0: content. Sure. Well, if there's a, there's a quick way to be unhappy in your life and be a resentful person is by not being content with who you are. Yeah. Because if you're chasing that, it's an ever moving needle. Because if you're not happy with who you are personally now, in my opinion, you won't be happy with a million dollars. You won't be happy with more trips. You've no. got to learn to be content with who you are today. And then... I think you've got a better possibility for growth. Absolutely. But you're going to hate yourself otherwise, eventually you become resentful of who you are as a man. Yeah. And I think we had a lot of that in this country right now. Yeah. The second point I want to make, and I think this is in line, you were content with who you are, it sounded like, but I think a lot of religious, a lot of my friends who are more religious than even I am, I grew up in the Baptist church, um, they, they hear this saying, meek shall inherit the earth. And I think that that's been kind of proposed out there to Christians, that the weak, over, the people that are bow down, let's put it that way, that are content but don't want to be any better, that you're good. Yeah. And that you don't have to be a fierce lion out there. You don't have to be that. The meek shall inherit the earth. And I don't look at meek that way. I look at a guy who's dangerous, a man who can control that. Because otherwise, what do you have going for you? Um, if you're just a weak person, then I guess you could say there is no virtue in you. Yeah. Um, and so... When I, I, it sounds like that's a little bit in you, like it's not weakness. 100%.
1: The, the people who look at that, and the, and I believe in the inerity of Scripture, so I completely believe that the meek inherit shall inherit the earth and, and, and the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. But the problem is, is what they do is when they take that out of context, they're yes. taking that one Scripture and they're building entire theology on it and what they're completely missing out on is that the very same person who said that turned around and had face-to-face conflict with the people in the synagogues, called them whitewashed sepulchers, called them serpents, uh, called them uh, tombs fu- full of dead men's bones. I mean, these are not friendly terms. These are not passive, meek terms. You also look at the way that the Scripture paints him in a robe covered in blood with a sword. There, There is a, there is a threatening, controlled uh, presence about Jesus Christ and about the, the spirit of God that a lot of times the Western culture tries to emasculate. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard it said once that uh, we have taken the line of Judah, declawed him and made him a house, uh, a lap cat for a pious old ladies. And I'm like, it's the absolute truth. Mm-hmm. We've taken scriptures like that and we've taken them out of context. and We built entire theologies on them while emasculating and, and, and cutting off probably what I would consider some of the most important aspects of the persona of of our God.
0: Yeah. I I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, to use your example, I think the virtuous man is one that can use that sword but yet sheathed it and Mm -hmm. doesn't use it. That's the strength right there. And that's why I like what you said. Hey, I was content, but I I gave it up to get more, to -hmm. push forward, to better myself. Um, Anyways, that just really spoke to me right there. I could go off on that for a while. But so you decide to give it up to God and then you're you're 300% growth. Hell yeah. Yeah. Excuse me. But heck yeah, yeah, man. Okay. Um, where does it go from there? I want to bring us up to, to present time right now so I can talk about what you're doing.
1: So uh, it, we, we, we go out and we start bringing on some different people. Um, and uh, this will segue into our growth and to, uh, I know you wanted to talk a little okay. bit about 22. Sure. Um, we, uh, we hired a very toxic 1099 sales contractor who I allowed too much freedom. And he wound up uh, nearly fatally wounding the company to the point where... Literally a year ago, this time uh, we found out that we were going to have about a nine hundred thousand dollars shortfall for the month, and so uh, I went into my. my well, I what I'll, I'll speak what I did. I went to go start looking for hard money, and uh, just some kind of gap funding that yep. we could bridge the gap. Because a little bit of backstory is at this point. COVID had pretty much decimated my entire residential sales team. We had no residential sales. And then we had very, very little commercial sales because we had totally, for the entire year before, focused on government and defense department sales. And that had grown so fast underneath. The one thing about this toxic individual is he's a very, very good sales guy, but he's also very manipulative. So he got a lot of contracts. But the sales cycle for those contracts, you can get a, you can get an LOI or a contract and you won't start that for eight or nine months. And then uh, you won't uh, be through and to start until by eight or nine months after that, maybe a year. And then you won't be complete with that project for eight or nine months to a year after that. So you're looking at a year and a half to two years from the time you get an LOI to the time you actually see what your profit margins are. So at this point, we allowed him to bring in too much. We didn't realize until it was too late that he had misbid it. He had... Uh, we had a policy in place where we allowed sales guys to take a percentage of the forecasted commission. Okay. Um, only up to 50%. That's still a lot. Um, yeah. Okay. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't exist anymore in restoration mm-hmm. roofing, and I no. would recommend no one else doing that.
0: <laughs> That's fair. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <So it's, laughs> disclaimer here. If you
1: want to talk about mistakes <laughs> made on podcast, we can talk about that one. Yeah. Way. Okay. Good deal. Um, so uh, Anyway, so there was a lot of things that happened right up there, and, and a year ago, this time last year, we had just gotten through about a, between Christmas, New Year's, and, and a historic winter on the n- Northeast coast, uh, three months of shutdown with government contracts. So we our ARs are on uh, between 30 and 90 day payment terms. So our ARs are from the months before catching up with us. So we still have that income coming in, but what we forecasted was we had three months of pay apps that were nothing. That are, so in 30 to 60 days, we had no income. So we're looking at millions of dollars of production with no income. And we're a really small company. We couldn't fix that. So um, one thing led to another. Uh, My my little girl goes to a Christian school called Covenant Christian here in Colleyville. And uh, we have a group of dads who are called the Watchmen. And uh, they send out an email every Friday for prayer. And I just responded to an email and said, uh, hey, guys, I can't make it this week, but keep my company in prayer. That's all it said. Literally all I said, it went out on March 2nd, so literally a year ago. Wow, something about So uh, a gentleman that goes to the same school and never met before, uh, just saw the email and felt like, I need to meet this Jonathan guy, find out what's going on. So uh, we had a mutual friend who he contacted, and said, hey, do you know Jonathan? He's like, yeah, he's a great guy. Because I want to meet him. So we set up a breakfast, that breakfast turns into five hours. He turns into an equity partner who has invested a lot of money into a company that had a loss so the fact he did it made no business sense um but he has stood by us through the worst year of my life that i can say i'm it's it's a weird feeling of going through the worst year of your life but in being immensely grateful that you experienced it but you never want to do it again um it's an odd feeling that's where i'm at on it so he got us through it um my former partner uh, was not in a place to handle, the because f- we decided no executive pay until further notice, so I went almost 300 days with no pay, no distributions. I think I got paid on day 292. Wow. Um, so we lived off savings, um, put everything we had back in the company, and had a massive shortfall last year, but the crazy thing is is that God brought us a sales guy that had experience for over 30 years in the federal side. And then he, we went through a a number of staff changes. We had a complete 100% rollover and it was all healthy uh, to the point now where this year, we have um, historic amount of revenue Mm -hmm. booked all the way through 2024. And we will make more profit this year than we've made in the
0: history of the company. So I think there's two questions about that. The first one is somebody's gonna say, okay, how? Um, what changed? If you're telling me that this guy comes in and puts an influx of money in during a time when yep. it wasn't a good time for, maybe what we might call the reasonable investor to come in and give the money. We can call it reasonable investor. Okay. <laughs> then what changed then? Was it was it guidance that you received there? Was it the ability to, to increase the, your ability to do operations became more efficient? How, how did you change from, let's just say 300%, that'd be somewhere around 9 million, to to moving forward, and you're at a loss because of everything that was happening. We did
1: seven point five last last year.
0: So how do you turn that around right now? What is it, what is it that does it for you, brother?
1: So we had a gentleman come on board um, right around the time that the toxic individual was leaving. Now, okay. like remember what I said the 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 sales cycle for federal projects are in, insanely long. The lead cycle. Um, so it took him a while to fill his funnel, but when he started filling his funnel. It was 5.2 million dollars 2.3 million dollars 8.6 million dollars and on and on and on and these are for contracts going all the way into 2024 now the, the some of the things that that i've learned after going through what i learned is number one we don't 1099 anyone anymore we brought everyone in w2
0: now we're talking because
1: i needed to control everyone And not in a bad way, but I need to be able to tell you what to do and not be under the auspice of the IRS for
0: not doing that. You're talking about even your, let's say your guys on the roof, the people doing the job, your production, everyone w Everyone.
1: And here's something I'll I'll tell everybody out there. I wish I knew before is how profitable you get when you bring your field labor in-house we're talking world's difference between when you subcontract and when you bring it in. And I was always scared because I was like, what if I'm slow down and I start to pay these guys hourly? The amount of profit differentiation or the differential dramatically makes up for it. I would encourage everyone, if you can, please do that.
0: I will say right here, I completely 100% agree with you. Um, and uh, Jason Eustace Roofing, 170 plus employees. Every single one of them a W-2 and a good client of mine. Um, everybody in his office, everyone on the roof, everyone, health insurance included with he's at. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people think, oh, I can never afford to do that. Yes, you can. And you will. And the, the difference you will see in your culture of your company as well as in the profitability, your ability to go out there and get jobs done, it's immense. And I, I applaud you for doing this. More should do what you're doing.
1: Well, and and just the the, the stress relief of being able to control the quality 100%.
0: Control when someone's going to show up. Good luck. They tell you how I'm going to be there in two hours. You're the one who's going to have to go set that expectation or reset that expectation with the homeowner. Not when you bring it in-house, you get a customer service level that is immensely more developed than your competition. You stand out. Congrats, man. It's a big thing. It's a tough risk to take to get your head around. Good job.
1: So so that was one thing. The other thing is... uh, so take out the fact that we had 1099 sales guys who were paid on profit, and I trust I was like, well, if you're getting paid on profit, they're going to be profitable. Otherwise, you don't you don't make any money. Um, what I learned is there's ways to manipulate the system, which is what the toxic individual yep. did. So we've taken that out. There's no more advances. My sales guys all have a base salary, Good. not commission only. Love it. Um, and then anything over thirty to thirty to $40,000 goes through a pricing review of with my director of operations, my director of construction, my uh, finance uh, person and myself and the sales guys. So we're all in a meeting and you're going to explain line item by line item how you came up with the total amount in order to ensure that the projection is accurate mm-hmm. and we're not going to get to the end and not have any, any profit in it. So there there's things that we've taken and put in place to sit there and look, okay, well, you had this $2 million project you lost money on. How do you... How are you not going to do it again in the future? Well, number one, the sales guy is now salary. One of my the number one rainmakers walking behind you right there. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) So uh, is is base salary, but then when you make their estimation process a thesis they have to defend, and they know they're going to have to defend it. They're going to make sure their numbers are dead on.
0: That's beautiful, man. I love the way you do that. How does it make you feel talking about a two million dollar project right there when a company ten years ago was at one point five and struggling to get above that? It's I mean, a little, honestly. I'm, I'm I'm curious. What goes to your mind then?
1: It's a little surreal, um, just because the numbers don't the numbers don't feel the way they used to. Um, when, when I when I when I think about where we were prior and. And I, I believe there's value. Like if there's, I met with a young guy who's been in business for two years last, uh, last yesterday, who's doing just so I a million dollars. He's killing it. And so I have mad respect for people who are on that side and they're, they're killing it. And I'm proud of him for doing that because his profit margins are fantastic. So it has nothing to do with the scale. But as far as talking about dollar amounts for three years now, I, well, take it back. 2022. Whenever I started looking at losses and realizing I can take a quarter million dollar loss and not die, I can take a three hundred thousand dollar and not die, and just literally get your feet, get your face out of the mud, and pick your sword back up and take it one more day. I've got a little army man on my, uh, on my, uh, on my bathroom sink, and I look at it every single day because it reminds me, uh, I'm going to war. I'm not going. I'm not going to work. I'm going to war, and uh, I'm fighting for my family, and it's a different mentality. When you go into it and realizing that, but I'm trying to figure out how to answer your question.
0: Does it give you the same satisfaction that it used to?
1: No, no. It. it I mean, it, it's just different parameters because now, I mean, not for comparison's sake, but for comparison's sake, we're we have if we don't if we don't ink another contract for the rest of the year, we have 32 million dollars in backlog this year. So when I'm looking. When when I'm looking at that and I'm planning for that, it's not it's not that much different if you're planning smart mm-hmm. than if you're planning for a two million dollar year. So it's it's different, but it's really the same. If you're planning smart with what you have with the resources you have available to you, um, we've just I mean we're 19 years old. Like there's going to be people who are two or three years in, in the end of the business that are only making two or three million dollars. They don't have the resources available to them that I do. So it's it's not a matter of I, I guess what I'm wanting to do I don't want people to be listening to this and feeling like well I'm only making two million want want right. I want I want to encourage them but you're probably killing it knocking it out of the ballpark if you're stewarding the resources that you have well and you're executing them smartly because next year you'll be three point five yeah. and guess what ten years down the road when you're fifteen million that two million is going to feel different but that doesn't mean it's a failure I guess. Sure.
0: It doesn't, but I think that when people go to conferences, we're here at IRE right now in Dallas, Texas, that you see people on stages or in groups and breakout sessions that tell you about their big wins, and then it becomes easy as a contractor or marketing company, whatever company you are, to look at it and go, damn, I thought I was doing good at 3.5. This guy's doing 33.5. And while it is meant to help you, it can have the effect of bringing you to your knees and going... I'm so far away from there. I'm ten years in and I feel so far away from where this person is. And that's how I want to end this, okay? And
1: that's and that's that was me, man.
0: That's how that I want to that was this. me. Yeah. So here's here's what, what do, else. What do you tell what do you, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but what do you tell this gentleman?
1: What I tell that gentleman is show me your bottom line and show me his bottom line. Because top line is ego. Top line is ego. Because if you're pulling in a two to three percent profit margin on a hundred million dollars, you suck. <laughs> if you're pulling in thirty five percent with three million dollars, you're a king. Mm who cares about the top line when a lot of times and I don't like blanket statements or universal statements but so I'll say a lot of times when when I hear people folk and this is what I was trying to avoid when I hear people completely focus on the top line and why it's why I didn't really even just throw out the 32 right at the beginning of the product like we're doing 32 million the reason I avoided that is because top line is ego bottom line is really where the businessman lives and if people are throwing out top line numbers all the time without ever mentioning what their profit margins are, you should question that person and uh, don't put too much stock
0: in it. I'm gonna write that down. Top line is ego. And I'm gonna steal that from you because I love it, brother. This is what I thought we might get into. I thought this was not gonna be as much about shingles and roofing as it is about a guy who went from 1.5 million to a top line that doesn't matter. Um, And I think that's pretty darn cool right there, man. Um, We got people walking all the way around us here at IRE. I really actually enjoyed this. Um, it's Thank nice you. to be able to sit down with someone who thinks, I, I feel like, gets it in life. Um, and I'm sure it's not easy or good time. To, didn't it, it wasn't a good time getting there, is what I mean. No. Um, <laughs> but
1: I, I've used the war metaphor multiple times, and we have to realize, I mean, if we're going to take this seriously, we're, we're going to war for our families every day, and war is never a pleasant walk in this park. It's not. and And no. uh, it, it would be uh, false of anyone to pretend that it is. Business is war.
0: That's... I'm going to end it right there. Uh, John, Jonathan Gaspard, Restoration Roofing, everyone. Um, this is our first conversation together. Yeah. Uh, imagine what we could do if we had time to actually talk to each other for a few hours and give you some value that way, but I hope you truly did. I'm going to be thinking about this one. Top line is ego, and I believe I don't believe you are right. Um, I'm going to look forward. You make me a promise, man. Maybe we see each other at another conference. We sit down again. Yeah. I'd really love that. i love that. Uh, me too. Good luck to you. I'm going to talk to you soon. Everybody, check this guy out. Restoration Roofing, all right? Jonathan Gaspard. I enjoyed it, man. Thank you.
1: Absolutely. Thank All you, right, buddy. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it.
0: I really enjoyed,
1: enjoyed that. that.